see, is that is that on? Can you all hear me all right? Uh, yeah, the fog is definitely there for those of you that have had newborns. It's uh, definitely a fog for a little bit. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, my name's Stephen. I've been married for about nine years. Um, grew up in Starkville, Mississippi. My wife is from Oxford, Mississippi. We we love Mississippi. We, uh, we live in Memphis. We've been there for a number of years now. We've got two boys, Toller Felker and James. And then we just welcomed little Presley to our, to our world. My wife's maiden name is Presley. We're not huge Elvis fans. It just was a, a family name. Um, so I'm excited to be here. This morning we're going to um, look at the parable of Jesus here. It's a, it's a short passage that we're going to have. It's, it's, it has massive implications for our lives today, though. And so if you would, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 13. I think it'll be back here. Um, what we're going to see this morning is that the kingdom of God has massive value and importance for us. And that if we're wise, we'll actually give up everything we have to pursue this kingdom. So before we read our passage, let's pray and and ask God to give us that wisdom as we turn to his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for for your kindness and your goodness to us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for uh, the way that you have called us to come and to worship you and to hear your word and respond. So we've come this morning, we've come to hear you with, with humble hearts, with open hands, Longing to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. And so, Father, speak to us from your words. Give us wisdom. Open our eyes and our ears that we might see you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. So I remember it was 2009, I was about to be a, a freshman in college, and I was so excited about my birthday. For those of you that are old enough to remember, I had a Razer phone that was breaking, and I was excited because for my birthday, I had been longing and waiting for an iPhone, and it was beyond joy that I had when I finally got this iPhone. Ahead of all of my friends, none of my friends had it. And I finally got it. And that joy and that excitement didn't last. Have you had that experience before? Where before long, it's, you start to realize that you need a new iPhone. Because your old iPhone, maybe the battery doesn't work quite well. Maybe it no longer charges. Maybe it doesn't do the cool things that the new one does. And I wonder, what is, what is something in your life that if you were to get it, would finally bring you 
lasting happiness and joy? Would it be success at work? Would it be perhaps your family dynamics? Perhaps it's an important accomplishment that you've been attempting for some time. There's a sense where we, we daydream and we imagine finally getting that thing, whatever it might be. And if we're honest, when we get it, the joy doesn't last. The honeymoon ends, and we're back to daydreaming about the next thing. And I think many of us could relate to that, to that, that feeling of finally getting what it is we had hoped and dreamed about, but finding it lacking. Jesus is telling us in this passage this morning, in this parable, that the kingdom of God is the only thing that can satisfy us because it, because it is more valuable than anything else in our lives. Because Jesus is of infinite value, we must give up all things to follow him. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the, the treasure of the kingdom. We're going to look at the cost of the kingdom. And we're going to look at the joy of the kingdom. And so first, the, the treasure of the kingdom. What is this treasure in this parable? How can the kingdom of God be compared to a treasure? Let's look again at the passage. Both of these parables are basically explaining the same thing. In the first one, there's a man in a field who discovers a hidden treasure. And we can presume that since he buys the field, he's not the owner of the field. He's simply come across this treasure by accident. He wasn't looking for it. He discovered this treasure. Perhaps he, he worked in the field. Perhaps he was simply on a journey. The details don't really matter. The point is that this man comes across a treasure. And upon finding it, he buys the field. And in this world, this, this ancient Near East world, this would have been very common. Before banks, this would have been a way of securing your finances. You might bury them in a field. You might cover them in a brush. This would be done as security. We're, we're not told, but we can presume that the original owner of the treasure is likely dead. He's no longer there. He's either forgotten about it or he's been dead for some time. But again, the point of the parable is very straightforward. This man finds something of immense value, and he does all that he can in order to gain it. The second parable is quite similar, but instead of, a, of an accidental discovery, this man's job, his career, is to find pearls. And he's searching for them. He's looking for them. And he's looking for this pearl of great value, and upon finding it, what does he do? He sells all that he has in order to gain this one pearl of great value. Both of these parables are comparing the kingdom of God to a treasure of, of immense value, of immense worth. And it's worth asking, how does the kingdom have this much value? What is so great about this kingdom? Well, it's obviously very different from other kingdoms. Even now, think about the greatest countries in the world, what makes them great? Is it their wealth? Their freedoms, perhaps? Perhaps it's, it's their citizens or how long they've lasted. Maybe it's their military might or their resources. In all other kingdoms, these are the things that we look at, but not in this kingdom. What makes this kingdom so valuable? It's simply one thing. It's the king. Jesus, he makes the kingdom that valuable to where you would sell everything in order to get it. 
Jesus, the, the one of infinite worth, is what makes this kingdom so valuable. By his very nature, there is nothing worth more than him. The, the alpha and omega, the beginning and end, this is what brings value to this kingdom. Years ago, the, the Washington Post did an experiment. They were looking to prove a point, and so they had, they had a man named Joshua Bell, a world-known violinist, go to a subway station in New York City. And the point was, was pretty clear. They, they were hoping to see, would people notice this? Would they notice world-renowned music in front of them? And so three minutes go by before anything happens. 63 people pass by when suddenly there's a breakthrough of sorts. A middle-aged man looks at him for just a second and then continues to go. A half minute later... Bell gets his first donation. Somebody throws a dollar into his hat. It was not until six minutes into the performance that somebody actually stood there and listened for some amount of time. Over a thousand people passed by without even noticing him. And at the end of the day, $32 were put in his bucket. One woman pulls her child along who's trying to stop and listen, begging to see the violinist. And the point is pretty clear that that these people had immense beauty and value right in front of their eyes, but they couldn't see it. They weren't able to notice the value and the beauty in front of them. They didn't have eyes to see. They had one of the greatest musicians of their time in front of them, and they couldn't see him. They couldn't recognize him. Both of these parables are communicating a similar truth to us. They're, they're both explaining and demonstrating one very important thing. The kingdom of God has an infinite value, has infinite worth, and that worth is wrapped up in the fact that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. The treasure is, is King Jesus. He is what makes the kingdom so valuable, so worthy of your purchase. What makes this field so valuable? Why did the, why did the man, why did he go in that field? How did he find that treasure? Or the merchant that found the pearl? They had eyes to see the value and worth of the treasure that they had found. Their hearts were set on that treasure, and because of that, they did everything they could to get it. And I wonder this morning, a, a, a question for us to ask and wonder, do we have eyes to see this treasure? Do we have a heart set on getting it? Jesus tells us elsewhere that where our treasure is, there our heart is as well. And so I wonder, where is your heart this morning? Is it on success? Is being seen as successful or, or wealthy where your heart is set? If so, you'll sacrifice everything you can in order to get it. Or perhaps it's, it's security. Are all your efforts directed towards safety for you and your family? If so, you'll sacrifice your neighbors that are in need. You'll pass them by. Is it being liked? If so, you'll sacrifice honesty and integrity to save face. Where is your treasure this morning? This parable asks us this question. Do we see the kingdom of God? Do we see the king as a treasure, as something of value? But secondly, this, this parable asks us also, do we rightly value the cost of the kingdom of God? Do we see it and place it within the hierarchy of our lives 
correctly. We see this in the response by both of the men, both the man and the merchant, upon finding the treasure, upon finding the pearl, what do they do? They sell all that they own and they go and purchase it. Now, by cost, Jesus certainly doesn't mean that you must pay to enter the kingdom of God. That's not what he's getting at here. The call to come to Jesus is, is without money. It's without price. This cost refers both to the, the immeasurable value of Jesus against all other things, as well as the sacrifice of all things in order to get Jesus. Is he worth that to you? Are you willing to do that? To many of us, this is one of those passages of Jesus that, if we're honest, it's quite frightening, honestly. It just is. It's one of those passages that, that we see it, and, and we hear it, and we think, surely this isn't what Jesus meant. Surely Jesus doesn't mean you must sell everything to find this. We try to explain it away. Surely this man and this merchant didn't get rid of everything. But this is the cost of discipleship. The cost of the cross, the cost of the kingdom. Often we think that we can have Jesus and things just continue the way that they were before. We think that we can have Jesus and nothing has to change in our lives. It's passages such as this that tell us to have the king is to have a cost, to bear a cost, to let go of all things that might hinder him. It's a call to pay the cost of, of reorganizing the hierarchy of our lives, that all things are to be under him. And the first commandment gets to this. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. That all things are to be second to this kingdom and to this king. All things are to be second to this. When our priorities and our lives go unchanged, it's a sign that we are living for idols, for other gods. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor that resisted the Nazi regime during World War II, he termed this as cheap grace. When we attempt to have Jesus in our lives unchanged, it's cheap. It allows us to continue to live our lives unchanged. It's grace that allows us to avoid Jesus and his call to leave all, to sell all, to follow him. Cheap grace, this, this grace has no cost. It lets you continue on living the way you do. It doesn't, doesn't call out against the idols of your life. It doesn't ask you to reprioritize your life. It assumes that gaining Christ will not affect your life in any way. It's simply another item to place in your heart, another treasure that you can store. But costly grace. This is grace that, that brings you to Jesus and causes you to give up everything for him. Giving up all and, and selling all, you get something better. You get Jesus. Jesus tells us, whoever follows me must pick up his cross. It's an invitation to death. It, it's costly. It hurts. But it's worth it. Because you get Jesus. I think most of us don't think of our faith this way. I think we typically um, approach it as if we are buying a house. My wife and I bought a house a few years ago. And our goal, when we went to, to look for a house, we had a, a set budget. And our goal was to find a house that we could buy that would meet that budget and would leave our lives unchanged. We wanted to have a house where 
we could live and we could love and we could enjoy it, but nothing else in our lives would have to change in order to get that. We wanted a deal. And I think that's how we think of our Christian faith. We want a deal on Jesus where we can have him, but nothing has to change. We can hear his call for us to reprioritize our lives, but we don't want that. So think about your life. What are the things in your life that you hide away from Jesus that you don't want him to know about? Is it your anger? Your lust? Is it your greed? Your ambition? Maybe it's your indifference. Or maybe a better question to think about is, how do we find these, these priorities that we've put in front of Jesus? Think about your time. How do you spend your time? Do you dedicate all of your time to work? Is all of your time dedicated to your family? Do you have time for Jesus? Or perhaps, what do you worry about? When you're anxious, where do you go for comfort? Do you turn to Jesus? Or do you look to other things? Think about your money. What do you spend it on? These are all great thought experiments to think through. What are the things that we prioritize in our life? When Christianity doesn't change how you spend your money, the mercy and generosity that you have, or when it it doesn't change your private life, the media you consume, we we have cheap grace. When we think that taking on Jesus doesn't affect every fiber of your being, Every ounce of your life, all must be given up for this treasure. But lastly, how do we know that this kingdom is worth giving up all for? We come to our last point, the the joy of the kingdom. We find in this parable that the man who buys the field does it with joy. Isn't that a strange fact? He's joyful and excited about this purchase. Why? Because he knows what he's getting. He feels assured of its value. He's identified the treasure and he's assessed the cost and he knows it's worth it. We just talked about joy when giving up everything is pretty difficult, though. Can you imagine going home today and saying, honey, pack up the kids. I found it. We're moving. Sell everything. She would look at you like you're crazy. Right? Joy when giving up everything is difficult. Right? We just talked about how Jesus tells you to deny yourself and pick up your cross if you're following him. He's calling you to death, to the things that you desire, the ways of the world. He's calling you to deny yourself every single day. How do you do that with joy? I think most of us have motivations to do it. For some of us, we're simply motivated thinking, perhaps if I just do enough, if I work hard enough, If I'm good enough, then maybe Jesus will take me. And in that case, we're not motivated by joy to follow his his call. We're motivated by pride, that we might be good enough for Jesus. Others, we're motivated thinking that perhaps we can make up for the things we've done wrong. Perhaps there are numerous things that you think of in your life that just bring you a lot of shame and guilt. And we think, perhaps, if we can just pay back what we did wrong... And so we give up things not out of joy, we give up things out of guilt. 
Others, we, we don't find joy in selling all and, and in denying ourselves. We, we actually do that because we fear that God will punish us if we don't. So not joy, but fear is our primary motivation. So how do we get joy? Where does this joy come from? How do we go about seeing Jesus as a, as a priceless treasure that we will with joy sell all in order to get? And I want to suggest you begin to see Jesus as that priceless treasure. You begin to get that joy when you realize that in the eyes of Jesus, you're actually that hidden treasure. You are that pearl of great value. Jesus sold everything he had in order to get you. You were his treasure. You were the pearl of great price. He does so gladly. He does so with joy. How do I know? Because Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? What was the joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross? You were. You were the goal. Fellowship with you for all eternity. Freedom from from your sins. Freedom from bondage. You were the goal. And that brought Jesus joy to give up everything to get you. And as you ponder that, as as you sit with that for a while, it's that joy that Jesus has for you that actually moves you to joy for him. It's that joy that, that changes your motivation from, from guilt and pride and fear to joy. Because you get Jesus, who gave up all for you. It's his joy, his, his love, his devotion that changes your motivation. Right? We know that we love because he first loved us. So he cultivates that joy in you. In the midst of denying yourself and taking up your cross, what brings you joy? You get Jesus. He sees you, the real you, the sinful, dirty you. He knows you, the worst things you've done. And yet he spared nothing to get you. In fact, he gave up everything for you. I'll close with this. Um, my wife and I, Mary Virginia, when, when we dated, we were both um, quite scared of actually saying I love you to each other. Right? That's, that's a silly thing to talk about now on this side. Right? But there is a fear that we might get hurt if we had said I love you and, and it didn't work out and we broke up. Right? There was a fear that it kept us from expressing love for each other. And so we would do funny things like instead of saying I love you, we would, we would say I like you a lot. Right? Right? It's just utter ridiculousness at this point when we think about it. And I can still remember the excitement of, of seeing each other. And actually saying, I love you. That joy and that excitement. But more than that, as the years have gone by, the reality is that when I looked at her and I said that, and when she looked at me and she said that, we didn't really know each other. It was just a statement. She didn't know my anger when things don't go my way, or I didn't know her desire to control things, and we certainly hadn't lived life with children, which is a completely different thing. We didn't know each other. And I can tell you now, nine years in, the joy of hearing somebody say I love you, when she knows all my flaws, when she's been with me in the worst of times and the best of times, 
That is a joy that overshadows all other excitement. Certainly, it's not quite the same as the first time you say it, but it is a joy of endurance that I will never trade it back for that first time. Jesus knows the worst of you. There's a real sense that the joy that you get from him, the one that knows you at your worst, knows you at your best, and yet still counted it worth the cost to give up everything in order to get you because you were the hidden treasure. You were the pearl of great price. It's that joy, that foundation, the motivation, the assurance of of that treasure is found only in knowing and experiencing his love for you. And it's his love that brings you joy, that brings you the assurance that leaving all is very much worth it. Because in the end, you get the treasure. You get the king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, many of us, are fearful and scared to leave all. Even now, we feel you tugging on our hearts, calling us to give up something for you, to stop doing something because you're better, or to move good things in our lives down so that they can be below you. Father, I pray that you would give us the joy of doing that, knowing that you gave up all in order to find us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.